0: Your Family, Your Money is brought to you by Westpac Bump Savings Account.
1: Welcome to a kindling podcast, Your Family, Your Money. I'm Georgina Dent. And I'm Caitlin Fitzsimmons. We're two mums with young families and we want to help all families understand money better. It is so
0: closely linked with with all of the things that we do, whether that is, you know, where we live, how we live, how we look after our children, where they go to school, how we spend our holidays. It's, it's so closely linked with all of those decisions. And I think that empowering people to, to be comfortable talking
1: about money is so important. It's true. It's one of those big taboos. People hate talking about it, but especially for couples, it's like you, you really have to get on the same page about it. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And I think that the way families manage their money
0: is incredibly important to their, to their security and to their, their happiness.
1: I'm Caitlin Fitzsimmons. I'm the money editor at the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. So I know a bit about personal finance and I'm also a mum myself. I have a boy and a girl, both aged six. Yes, they're twins.
0: My name is Georgina Dent. I am the contributing editor of Women's Agenda. I'm a columnist in the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. And I speak a lot and write a lot about um, women's equality in particular. I have three daughters between um, eighteen months and seven, so like a lot of other people, this subject of of my family and my money um,
1: is very relevant. In this show, we'll be talking about finance for couples. That includes joint versus separate accounts, how to talk about money with your partner, superannuation, long-term goal setting, and secret spending.
0: And if there are any questions you want to hear answers for, we've got you covered. Send us an email to podcast at kindling.com.au. We are more than happy to share what we've found out about families and money with you.
1: I see a lot of kind of questions around this, you know, debate over whether to have a single bank accounts or um, a joint bank account together, at what point um, you should start kind of combining money. And uh, I thought it would be a really great idea to talk about different approaches to money, you know, what's healthy, what's not, and the sort of things you should be thinking about. I suppose
0: in a lot of ways the the way in which two people decide to manage their finances and approach their finances sets the blueprint ultimately for the relationship. And, I mean, it's not to say that money is front and centre, but money really is at the centre of so many of the decisions um, that you make, particularly as a couple in terms of how you live, where you live, how you spend your money. And and I think it, it is a good place to start um, because there are lots of ways of doing it and I don't think there is one single way that is the only way. But Caitlin, what in your view are some of the sort of big tips for people starting out together,
1: thinking about how they might manage their money? I think the key thing is to talk about it. And so often we don't. Uh, it's, it's, it's the kind of thing where when times are good, people don't really want to talk about money because you don't want to rock the boat. But if, if things go sour and you haven't had those hard conversations, then, you know, you've got much bigger problems on your hands. So it, it's something where it's a good idea to kind of cultivate it early on, just have open and honest communication. And as you say, there's no one size fits all in exactly how you kind of divide up your income and expenses. But you need to be have a bit of transparency, a bit of communication and a bit of kind of generosity of spirit. And I mean, I guess it is relevant here and you might be able to give us more detail,
0: but in terms of once the the laws around de facto couples are different around Australia, different states and territories have different arrangements. But on the whole, it is true that once a couple have lived together for two years, in many ways, their
1: finances are deemed to be joint that's right. So, you know, people might try to keep things um, separate. And, you know, in some cases you might have a very good reason for wanting to keep things separate. For, for example, if it's a, uh, a second marriage and you've got children from a, a previous relationship and you want to protect those children, if it is important to you to kind of keep a degree of separateness then you really, or separation, then you really need to set that up. From the beginning, you need to have a financial agreement. It's colloquially called a prenup, but you don't have to be getting married to have one. Um, do and you have t- to be rich and famous? No, no. And they do have standing. It's a myth that they don't have any standing. You don't have to have it drawn up by a lawyer and have it all kind of done properly. But for everyone else, um, you know, you might find that it suits your day-to-day purposes to keep things separate, but you do have to understand that everything that you... Both own is marital property, and it's treated that way in uh, if the relationship ends through death and divorce, and it's treated that way in terms of the benefits you might receive from Centrelink. You know they they take into account um, both um, couples' earnings, and that's in fact regardless of what a financial agreement might say. Mm. Uh, so you know the the notion that you can keep things totally separate and pay for things yourself. Does need a little bit of uh, kind of challenging from the legal side, but I also think, and I'd love to hear what you have to say about this. I think it's really unfair when children come into the picture, and you're taking one part, one person, um, usually the woman, but not always, is taking time out of the workforce. I don't think they should be getting some sort of allowance from their partner to kind of live on. I think that that whatever money that is being earned in that scenario should be there for both parties to access equally um, because the work of um, staying home with a child is incredibly important and valuable. And let's be honest, worth something. I mean, really, at the end of
0: the day, the uh, staying at home looking after children is not lying on the couch you know, having a relaxing time. It's a really important job. And I think that the way uh, two people approach that, and I mean this, this applies regardless of whether it's two men or two women or, or a man and a woman in, in the relationship, if you jointly as a couple make the decision for one person to take a step out of the paid workforce to help raise your family, I think you need to look at spreading the financial uh, parameters around that fairly I was just sitting here reflecting on my own relationship. My husband and I have been married for eight years and we were together for about four years before we got married. And when we met, we were young and we were both at uni. And we um, had separate accounts, really. And, and, I mean, we shared the the joint expenses once we moved in together, but we did have separate accounts. And it wasn't really until we were married um, that we completely combined our finances. And I suppose that model is not that unusual. I think it's probably unusual to be going out with someone for a couple of months and then suddenly have joint bank accounts. Um, But I suppose, you know, when I think about it, there wasn't a, a time when we sat down and mapped out our joint finances. It is something that happened organically. Um, I mean, I think we have managed that process quite well and we've 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 both had different points where we've stepped back from work for different reasons um, and have shared that. But I wonder whether you think, you know, it is something worth doing to actually sit down and be really specific about how you're going to manage your accounts.
1: Well, I think it's a really good idea to sit down and map out your long-term goals uh, because, You know, if if one partner wants to save money for a house and the other partner just wants to kind of live for today, it can kind of paper over the cracks to kind of run things separately for a while, but it's not a long-term sustainable answer to that dilemma. I think you need to be making some sort of compromise between you of, of what your shared goal is and then working towards that. And speaking of, you know, buying houses and so on, the other reason people might want to get a joint bank account is if they've bought a house together to take advantage of offset accounts. Uh, such a powerful tool for really kind of reducing the, the mortgage load um, because, you know, you can have your all of your salary and wages paid into that account. And as long as it's there in the account, that's interest in not paying on the home loan. Um, and then you only take it out as you need it for living expenses. Now, usually you can only have one. So I think that's a pretty powerful argument for a time when it might be appropriate to combine your money and you know, maybe you have some, you know, separate accounts for, you know, you're saving for Christmas or whatever, or your mm. kind of emergency funds in case, you know, things go wrong or, or whatever that that's up to individuals. I guess you were mentioning rushing in. Um, you don't want to rush in too early because if the other person is not someone who can be trusted with money, you can wind up in a lot of debt by association. And that's probably something you've seen in your research a lot. You're listening to the podcast, Your Family, Your Money. In this episode, we're talking
0: about couples finance and still to come are the ins and outs of contributing super for a spouse and secret spending. The problem of debt, but also um, the problem that, that can be associated with uh, an abuse of power in a financial sense is something that is really compelling. And we have seen recently a lot of stories, I've, I have reported on it, but a lot of other people have as well. In terms of the way family violence works, and part of the reason um, you know, it's not uncommon for, for women and children to stay in a relationship, even when it is abusive, is because of the financial power that one party holds. And I mean, that's not to say that it doesn't happen in every single case, but the, the sort of universal part of, of of an abusive relationship is an abuse of power and finances is one really powerful tool in that regard. Um, if you don't have access to any money, if you don't have access to an income stream of your own, then your options are incredibly limited and not just in the worst-case scenarios, which we see, um, which is when things become horrifically violent, but also in in the situation of of if you do decide that you want to exit the relationship, even if it's not an abusive relationship in any other way, if you don't have any financial independence or autonomy, your options are really limited. I don't think you can understate how important financial independence is in, in every sense, and I think it's something that all people entering new relationships, regardless of the age, regardless of, of the nature of the relationship. I think you do need to to consider how finances
1: are played out and how you manage that dynamic. Well, you can get more information on that from an app that um, I wrote about recently called Penda, P-E-N-D-A, which is exactly that kind of tools and information for creating financial independence and it's targeted particularly at women who are in um, abusive relationships, but I don't think it has to be just about that very dark side. I think it's it's important for all women and indeed all people to have some kind of independence and, and control over, over um, money and kind of options on, on what to do. You know, I guess that brings us to the, you know, the delicate, Point of you know when things do go wrong, you know, just uh, uh, um and and you might be kind of heading towards separation and divorce. It's such a painful time. Finances aren't always top of mind, uh, but I think then it's even more important than when you're happily together to have those lines of communication, to have information and honesty and transparency, and. You know, there there are many people who have a divorce and have a financial settlement without it going nasty and ballistic in the courts. They work through it calmly. They might, you know, they'll use a perhaps use a mediator, but they'll get something signed off by a lawyer, just lodge it, and it's done. It doesn't have to be terrible, but it really kind of uh, helps if you've kind of had that culture of communication um, right there from the beginning. Look, I I agree absolutely, but I I did see something
0: recently um, that, I mean, and and this won't be news to you, obviously, you're the editor of of the money section, that money is a really tricky point in a lot of relationships. You know, it is one of the key reasons um, that couples fight and and that couples indeed um, break up. And I think on the one hand you could look at that as a negative, but on the other hand you can look at it and think, Well, there's an opportunity there because if if a couple can actually work together to overcome the tension point around money, I think the opportunity and scope for sort of creating a more harmonious and more secure future is there. Um, I mean I'm I'm certainly no expert um in terms of I'm not a financial planner but everything that I have ever read from people who are very good with money and who, who've interviewed a lot of people who are good with money, they sort of say that being open and honest and really clear in your goals are sort of the universal um, strategies that financially successful people tend to enjoy. And I think that's particularly in the case of, of couples. If you can be really open and honest with, with each other about how you manage your money and how you how you plan to move forward... You know, I think that's quite a powerful uh,
1: tool to sort of, to ensure your security. Mm, it can be the secret medicine that means that you don't break up and get divorced and, you know, and actually have a happy relationship as well, which is what everyone wants. Like no one goes into a relationship hoping that it will all end in tears someday. So Caitlin, one of the other things I wanted
0: to talk to you about is, we, and we, we have talked about the the sort of darker side of, of, of relationships and if there is... Um, a lack of transparency. I mean, if, I think if you're in a relationship with someone and you don't know that they have a gambling problem, for example, and, and they've racked up all this debt that you had no awareness of, that's obviously fairly horrific and best avoided if it's possible. But I wonder whether what you think about the, the more regular hidden expenses. I mean, I think one of the things, one of the reasons why some people might be reluctant to have shared accounts is that they don't want to be accountable for every single dollar that they spend. And I mean, I, I read recently, and I quite liked this: that um, the Barefoot Investor and his wife have got a rule where basically anything up to three hundred dollars you don't need to, you know, talk about. But above that, in anything that they spend above that, they actually have a conversation about. What are your ideas there?
1: I think having those sort of rules is really good. Having You need to have a bit of a, autonomy. Um, and, you know, I, I think there, there are surveys that show that secret spending is rife, but I, I don't think it's necessarily sinister. I think it, it's often just people, adults making decisions without feeling like they have to run every little tiny decision by their partner. And I think that's perfectly okay. Where it does start to get into hiding things, like I have a friend who goes, Shopping, and then, when she comes home, she cuts off all the tags, hides them in the bin outside the house, and then goes and puts them in her wardrobe to make it seem like she 's had those clothes all along. I think that's a you know there might be kind of uh some some hidden issues that she and her partner aren't kind yes. of dealing with, yeah, you know. I can also just say that any hope
0: I ever had of hiding any purchases, even if it 's small my kids have just shattered because my two older daughters are so observant. And if I come out with so much as a new pair of earrings, even if they just cost me $10 from LaVisa, I mean, when did you buy those earrings? Why didn't you tell us? When did you go shopping? Why did you buy them? So there's no
1: There's no hope. So, I mean, you've had three children. Did did you have any conversations with your husband about super when you were having time off?
0: We didn't. And to be uh, honest, when we had our first baby, which was seven and a bit years ago, we were living in the UK and it was a very much of a surprise. It was a very welcome surprise, but it wasn't something we had expected to happen as fast as it did. We were living in the UK and I wasn't working at that point um, and so, super was a- li- and actually my husband was studying, so he was earning a little bit of money, but not very much. so at that point, our priority was just managing our cash flow and getting through that situation before we came back. Um, I with my next two babies, was fortunate enough to be paid um, parental leave, and that didn 't actually go into my super and it was it was something that we talked about, but at that point we didn 't have the additional cash flow to funnel extra funds into my super. We, do, we are listed as the joint beneficiaries of so, both of our super accounts. Um, and we, we did get financial guidance, um, but we didn't actually instigate there being some of his super being put into my account. I don't think that's necessarily the right approach. Um, I think if, if that works, if, if you do have the scope
1: to do that, I think it's probably worthwhile. I think it's a great idea for um, people in a couple to try to aim to equalise their super and to have, you know, the same amounts in each super account. You know, apart from anything else, there are rules about how much you can contribute into super, so it can be harder to catch up later on. Um, On the other hand, I don't think it's the be-all and end-all. And one reason is, and a lot of people don't actually know this, but superannuation is considered a marital asset. And what that means is that if a, if a couple does split up, uh, superannuation along with all the other financial assets like the house and like shares and any other investments is considered in one pot and then split according whether it's 50-50 or whatever the financial agreement um, you know comes up with. So superannuation um, in the event of divorce or breakup can be kind of Equalised at that time, regardless. Mm, Uh, And, you know, in the case of uh, death, it would need to be through a binding death benefit nomination rather than your will, which is important to remember. Um, But if you are actually married to your partner, then it's going to invariably go to the partner anyway, um, but it is a really good idea to have that in place if you can. You just need to kind of, you know, fill out a form with your super fund and it's done. Well, I also, I do wonder whether, you know, in our situation we probably weren't that
0: unique in that when, when one person um, gives up paid employment even for a short period of time, usually the household cash flow is under some increased pressure. And if that means that there isn't extra funds that could be funneled into super. I think that's okay. You know, I mean, I think in an ideal situation, if you were brimming with excess funds, then it's probably quite a smart strategy, particularly from a tax perspective, you know, to share it. But I, but I do think um, it's not completely naive to sort of think more broadly and think, well, actually, that's not uh, achievable at the moment for us. So we won't do that.
1: Um, I do have some information here on on what you can contribute to super both for yourself and your spouse. The rules changed um, in July 2017. So you can now make um, a contribution that's before tax, so you don't pay income tax on it, but it's subject to the 15% um, tax on super deposits. And that's now capped at $25,000 a year, including whatever you get from your employer counts towards that cap. But the great thing for people having career breaks, um, you know, which, you know, maybe kind of mothers taking out time out of the workforce um, to, to bring up children, is that it used to be use it or lose it. And now you can roll it over um, for up to five years. So you could make no contributions at all up until the Kind of cutoff point, and then put in one hundred and twenty five thousand all at once if you had that spare. And that would be quite nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you might not use all of it, but it is good to be able to to, to catch up. Um, and then there's also the after tax contributions um, that you can make as well, which have have different limits. There's also a scheme where a higher earning spouse can. Uh, contribute up to $3,000 into the lower earning spouse's superannuation. And on that, there's a rebate that's worth $540. So they contribute 3000 they get $540 back from the government for doing that. I
0: suppose also it is worthwhile pointing out, and this is where the thing with money is that I think there is partly a taboo in terms of speaking about it, but I also think that there can be quite a, a barrier in terms of it seeming too complicated and, and something that's that's too scary to consider, um, but one of the things with super is just understanding the basics of it is that it works on compound interest, and that means that even a small amount that you can contribute now is is a lot in twenty years, and and that is I think that's the important context here um, to think about is that those sorts of benefits are definitely worth exploring. Um just because the long term payoff is really significant That's you know, tr- right. for for both people
1: yeah i mean i I tend to think people in their twenties should put a little bit extra into super uh before they kind of you know take on other commitments and then they might not do it for years, mm. but that money will be sitting there compounding all of that time, which can be really powerful. There's also two other um, things that people should look into uh, if they're wanting to make contributions to super while they're not working or they're working part-time. There's the low-income super offset scheme called LITSO, which uh, compensates low-income workers for that 15% tax. If their marginal tax rate is lower than that, then the government's going to make sure that Yep. You know, yep. that's evened up. Yep. And then the second one is the co-contribution scheme, and that's for people earning under about $35,000. Uh, if they put in $1,000 into super, the government will kick in $500. Yeah. Um, so those are, you know, those are things worth looking at if there is any extra cash lying around at, you know, that time, which <laughs> unfortunately, you know, when you're on a low income may not be the case, but yep. if you, if you can, it's a good thing to look at. That's it for this episode. I'm Caitlin. I'm Georgie. Join us next time for more of Your Family, Your Money, where we'll look into the economics of children. If you have any topics or questions,
0: feel free to drop us an email. podcast at kindling.com.au Your Family, Your Money is brought to you by Westpac Bump Savings Account as part of Westpac's 200th year celebration. If your baby was born in 2017, Westpac will deposit $200 into a Westpac Bump savings account, which they can withdraw when they turn 16. You can open the account online today. Visit westpac.com.au forward slash Account must be opened and your ID verified by 31 May 2018. The $200 is limited to one per child and will be forfeited if the account is closed before their 16th birthday. Other T's and C's and eligibility criteria apply. Read the T's and C's available at the Westpac website before deciding if the product is right for you.